0: Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. On Tuesday night the past uh, Pastor Peter was leading it alone, and um, I said, I'll come help you. So I came to help him on Tuesday night, and they were doing the song, My Lighthouse. How many know that song? And we were doing the actions with the kids, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And God just began to speak to my heart about Him being our lighthouse, and I want to talk to you about that this morning uh, together. And so the title of my message is My Lighthouse. And, you know, we need to understand first and foremost what a lighthouse is. A lighthouse is usually a tower. In most cases, it's a tower built offshore or on the seabed to serve as an aid Uh, for coastal navigation, okay, we understand that. Warning mariners of hazards, of establish, helps them to establish their position and guiding them to their destination. So those are the three reasons for having a lighthouse. Uh, Today, for the most part, a lighthouse's primary function is really to take pictures for tourists, right? Take a picture in front of the lighthouse because we have GPS and satellite navigation, Uh, You know, we have these apps on our phone if you're a boater and you can look at everything, okay? But if you're in a situation where you're out on the water and your batteries are dead, you know, a lighthouse helps, all right? And uh, there's some things we need to understand about the lighthouse. So the three purposes, number one, is to help us establish our position. That's the first thing. Number two, guides us to specific destinations. And number three, uh, warns us of hazards, okay? Now, how does the lighthouse help you establish your position? So just a little bit of uh, research I did here. Um, So basically, how many know there's a curve to the earth? Everyone knows, okay, we don't live on a flat plane. We figured that out, okay? So there's a curve to the earth. And and, uh, a mariner would know that if a tower is 19 meters high, okay, if you're swimming in the water, you're able to see the tower light. Just at a glance on the horizon, you can see it when you're about uh, 16 kilometers away in the water. Now, if you get out of the water and climb up onto a a 10-meter boat, now that gives another 14 kilometers of distance that you can see. So a 19-meter, you know, lighthouse, you're able to see 30 kilometers away. You can see the light, all right? And so mariners, those in the waters understood. They knew how high the towers were. They could determine how far they were from the shore. They were able to find their position based on what they knew about that certain Lighthouse. And I love this. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. Isn't that what he said? And I love this scripture in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. It says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. All right? And we understand that in uh, rabbinical literature, the Jews understood that Jesus, it the, the light actually spoke about Christ and also his revelatory teaching that he was going to bring. So, the light is Christ himself, but also the revelation of his word that's being spoken. Okay? So, um, when we, we look at lighthouses, we need to understand a few things. Number one, each lighthouse has a unique set of flashes that are going on. All right? And you can get a log book and you can go online and you can check it out. Every flash pattern means something different. Very interesting when you start looking at all this, okay? Each combination of flashes will say something different to the mariner. They're able to understand and read that, okay? For example, so if you have four quick flashes, one, two, three, four, with a 10-second blank, that means something, okay? If you have a constant flash with four seconds between, that means something else, Say, so what does it mean, Pastor? Well, you got to go do the research. All right? If you have a red flash with a white flash, uh, it means something different. So the, so they're able to determine by the flashes uh, what harbor they're coming into, how far they are, if there's dangers, there's danger flashes telling you. So there's all kinds of readings that, if you study the Mariner's Book, you'll know what the flashes mean. I'm here to say today, if we study the Word of God, the light flashes of the Holy Spirit will give us different messages. But we need to be in the Mariner's book, the Word of God. We have to know what God is trying to tell us from the shoreline. Amen? And so, here's a couple things I want to talk about. The sea in Scripture really symbolizes the world and our life here. And Jesus said to His followers, as he was gathering them together, he said, I will make you fishers of men. And so we understand that the water or the ocean would represent the world. And how many know that when we're in the world, we're not of the world, but we're in the world, all right? And Jesus is our lighthouse, all right? And, and, and we have to understand when we look to Jesus, we're able to measure where we are. If we're able to look and see the light we represent, we understand where we are. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have failed God's standards, and we see the light in the distance, and we see Jesus, and we understand that uh, our hearts need that light. How many have ever come to a place where you saw Jesus as your lighthouse, and you, and you, you, you ran to the lighthouse, you went to that place? In 1 John 1, verse 5 to 7, it says, This is the message which we've heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from some sin. Oh, thank you. From all sin. God wants us to recognize that when we fellowship with Him, He is washing us and cleansing us from all sin. And so we recognize that Jesus is the point of entry into the kingdom of God. The harbor to eternal life. Jesus is that entry point, And He is the one lighting the way to eternal life. If you want to have eternal life, He is the door. He is the way, the harbor way to bring us into the kingdom of God. But we still are in the world even though we're not of the world, right? And so we come to the light to become light bearers. We come to the light to become light bearers. We come to the shores of salvation to become lighthouses for other people. And this is what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. It says, I want you to read it with me. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot Be hidden. Look at your neighbor and say, You are the light of the world. Verse 15 says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand to give light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so when, G- when people look at us, they should see our good works and see the light of Christ in us. How many know we've been called to be lighthouses? We are. And there is no light. I want you to say this. I want you to get this. There is no light without combustion and no combustion without a fuel source. And for thousands of years, even before the first lighthouses, they would build, people would build big bonfires on the top of cliffs or on the shorelines to warn people coming in so they'd know where the shoreline is, so they knew where the danger was. And a first recognized lighthouse, I'm going to show you a picture of it here in, in history, was the Lighthouse of Alexandria, okay? And this lighthouse here was a 100-meter structure, Okay outside the port of Egypt, constructed around 300 B.C. So, so it's 100 meters high. To give you a perspective, the, the, um, the Statue of Liberty to the top of her torch is 93 meters. So this is bigger than the Statue of Liberty in 300 B.C. It was made of limestone, was one of the ancient wonders of the world, and it was basically looked like, it looked like a tapered bell tower and it had a big bonfire burning on the top. And they brought coal and wood, and they'd keep this big fire burning. And as you know, there was no electric lights until the 19th century, okay? So coal and wood was the fuel. The problem was that these lighthouses, especially the big ones, would would burn about 450 tons of coal a year. And so people would have to take wheelbarrows of coal coal and put it on their back in backpacks and walk up this tower, and then they'd put the coal on the fire, and they'd go back down, and they would do this over and over again, and it was a lot of work to put light on the top of the tower to warn people of the dangers of... The shoreline. I mean, that was a lot of work. And it kind of reminds me of the Old Testament, right? All the prophets and the teachers of the law would have to work so hard to keep the fire burning, to keep it going, and it was a lot of work. In the New Testament, we understand all we have to do is keep oil in the lamp. It's a lot easier. So they used coal for lots, many, many years, but then they started using candles, and convex mirrors to, to light up the lighthouses up until 1810. So they realized that, hey, we don't have to break our backs to make a bonfire. We can put a candle there with a convex mirror, and it will look like a bonfire. How many know that got a lot easier? So, and then in the late 18th century, they started using oil lamps because they burned longer and continually as a keeper, only needed to add oil. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you only got to add oil. And so gravity fed the oil lamps, and they became the light source for nearly a century until the light bulb was invented. So I'll show you the next picture here, kind of give you an idea. So they had this fountain that they would fill up with oil, and then it would just gravity feed into the burner, and all you had to do was keep adding oil to the fountain. How many say that's easier than carrying coal up top of the tower? So I don't know if you guys know this, but in 1978, this building, if you've been upstairs, if you haven't, go check it out. This brick wall here has got black burn marks on it. It's all black tar because there was a fire here in 1978. There was an an oil reserve up on the top of the the roof, and it would, just like this picture that we showed you, it would just gravity feed the furnace, and a fire started and the gravity feed stayed on and the oil kept coming in and coming in and 11 buildings burnt to the ground from here, 11 stores were shut down all the way across to the, to, in 1978. And then you can look it up on the news, it's actually on Google. And then in 1979, they rebuilt all this is all brand new here, all right? So we understand that, uh, you know, that's what happened here. But um, in the same way, the oil of the Holy Spirit causes us to burn bright as the light. And you can't have light without fuel. I'm going to say it again. You cannot have light without combustion. You have to have fuel, all right? And so from from the shores of salvation, we become lighthouses for the lost at sea. That's what we're called to do. You know, there's a story of a famous lighthouse many years ago. There was a little village and um, on a rocky seacoast where storms often battered and the seas were ever treacherous. Many ships were driven onto the rocks by storms and the lives of many sailors were lost because of the raging seas. So one day, the people of the village got together and they said, let's get some government funding and let's work together. We're going to establish a lighthouse and we're going to have a life-saving station on the top of the cliff, and when, we, when, when, when uh, ships don't see the light and they hit the rocks and they start to break up, we will go out and rescue people, and that was their idea, and that's what they did. They built this lighthouse. And so as soon as uh, the storms would surge and the ships would crash up against the rocks, they'd ring the bell, and the townspeople would run out and they would rescue, get in the frigid cold waters and rescue those people. But then after a while, they said, you know, why don't we build a village right beside the lighthouse? Because it's, you know, it's more convenient. And they did. And then they, somebody said, well, why don't we just paint the inside of the lighthouse and put some nice comfortable chairs in there? Let's get a TV and we'll get a Netflix <laughs> prescription. We can binge watch. And we'll hang out in the lighthouse. Why, you know? And then when the bell goes, we'll, we'll just we'll be here. Well, the problem was the next time there was a storm... And the bell went off. Half the people were like, ah, oh, we're just so comfortable. Why, You know, we, we can't rush out and get wet, and the water's cold, and, you know, we're comfortable here in the lighthouse. And half the people rushed out and did their job, and they rescued people. And they came back, and the other half were upset. They said, well, please do not let them into the lighthouse because they might dirty the carpets. We'll put them in the basement. You guys are going, I, you can tell now I'm making this up. This, is, this never happened, okay? But you get in the picture, right? And they got so comfortable in the lighthouse that eventually the flame keeper forgot to light the flame one day and the light went out. And this is the danger we can get in as a church, is that we're not here to be comfortable. Amen? We're here to be on a rescue mission. To show people that, listen, Jesus is the light, and you can be rescued from sin and destruction. God is here for you. Amen. And that's our mission as the church. God has called us to be the light of the world. How many know the Lord is coming back? The Lord is coming back. He's coming back soon. And I want to look at this passage together uh, about the parable of the ten virgins. How many have ever heard the parable of the ten virgins? Okay. Before we go through the parable, it's important for you to know the customs of the day, and that's, that's the way we can, we can uh, understand the parable most. The wedding feast uh, in these times in Israel were week-long, and nobody knew when the couple would come, okay? They had a, a week-long celebration when they were doing the wedding ceremony, and, and to understand um, how that's working, number one is there was a betrothal, Okay? So what happened was the marriage covenant is established, and a price for the bride is negotiated and paid by the groom to the bride's family. Thank you, Anita. That's awesome. Okay, and this, this is like a modern-day engagement. So the man would go out, and he'd pay for the bride, get everything set up, I'm going to marry you. But then the second stage was there was a preparation stage, say preparation Okay, and so the man now would go home, get his affairs in order, clean his house, build an extra room for the for the, for the baby. Right when the baby comes, and get everything in order, pay off his debts. It usually took about a year, and the woman would go and get her affairs in order. And after approximately a year, there was the arrival of the groom. So the bride knew the groom was coming, but she didn't have a Facebook account or Twitter, and she did not have uh, cell phones, so she couldn't... Her husband couldn't call and say, I'm coming exactly at 10.55 p.m. She says, I'm coming this week at some time, so be ready for me. And it was sent by letter. Courier, right? It would go... Anyway, it wasn't express post either, and it took time. So she knew, she knew that he was coming, but she didn't know when, Okay? And so what happened was the groom would finish his preparations. He would come to collect his bride, and he would usually do it at night, and the groom would be accompanied by a wedding party. He'd have his male escorts, the best man, and they would carry torches to light their procession because they didn't have daylight. Now, I live up in Caring Place here, and I don't know if it's because I don't pay enough taxes, but we have no streetlights, and I love it because when it's dark, it's dark, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And you go for a walk, and it's like... Late at night, and you can't see your hand. I mean, it's, it's dark, right? So they had to see their way, so they used torches, okay? The bride knew he'd be coming, but could not or would not know exactly when. And the groom would arrive with a shout to get the attention that he had arrived. Now, the wedding party is the bride with her female attendants. These are the bridesmaids, the bridal party was waiting. So when we talk about the ten virgins, this is the bridal party waiting for the groom and the best man and his party to come through town. Got it? All right. Then at the wedding party, the bride, along with her family, would accompany the groom back to his family home for a wedding celebration. After the processions, would walk back to the groom's groom's family home. The bride and groom entered a wedding tent and... They physically consecrated the marriage while everyone involved waited and cheered, which is very strange, but okay. This was followed by a week of feasting and celebration by the entire bridal party, okay? And so this is how ancient Jewish wedding festivals took place. So now that we have the context, can we read the passage? Okay, here we go. And the time of the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, the bridal party, Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and they all fell asleep. What does the lamp represent? What does the lamp represent? Well, I looked at some scriptures here. We look at Proverbs chapter twenty, verse twenty-seven, and it says here, "The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord." Your spirit is where God reflects out of. How many know if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives within you? All right, searching all the innermost parts of His being. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, "Your spirit is the lamp." Now let's look at another scripture here in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God's word is also a lamp. Let's look at another scripture. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproof for discipline are the ways of life. So the Holy Spirit is the teacher, the author of Scripture. Isn't that awesome? And, and it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. And, and it's amazing to think of this, that the Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible, lives on the inside. And there's many times I've asked people, have you ever read the Bible? And they said, I've tried, and I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. And I'd say on a couple occasions, I'd say, hey, say this prayer. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And they were like, okay. And I'd say a salvation prayer with them, and they'd accept the Lord. And a week later, they'd come back and say, it all makes sense. I understand it. It's because the author moved in. Amen? How many have experienced that? Let me see your hands here. It suddenly makes sense. All right? And here's my favorite verse in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty nine. 29. For you are my lamp, O Lord. God is my lamp. So what if the lamp is our spirit in relationship with God's spirit, with his word as the light when fueled and ignited by the Holy Spirit? That's what it is. And it's so important that we we have the, the Holy Spirit intimacy with God. So let's move on in our verse here. So the virgins here have fallen asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. They trimmed their lamps. You know what that word trim means? I looked it up and this is what it means. It's the word cosmio or cosmetics. And uh, it means to beautify, to arrange, to decorate, to furnish, to adore, or to put in order. And I don't know about you men if you can agree with me, but I find that it takes a long time for women to cosmeo in the morning. It just takes so long. It just, I don't understand it because for me, I think women look beautiful without the makeup, and, but they have to spend all this time putting makeup on, okay? And uh, so it's fine. And so when I was on vacation this summer, one of the things, I, I, I hate missing church. I love being in church. So it was Sunday, and I thought, well, I'm on vacation. i got to go to some church. But we woke up late. I'm like, we only got a half an hour to get to church. we got to go to church. And so I said, okay, we'll go to this church over here because they believe that women shouldn't wear makeup. That, we'll make it. We're going to make it. So I said, honey, we've got a half an hour. We've got to go to church. And so she jumped up. She's like, oh, i got to do my makeup. I said, no, you don't because we're going to a church where women don't believe in makeup. She's like, really? So she actually beat me getting her pants on, and we got out the door. It was awesome. No makeup, no cosmetics. We got to the church. It was awesome. And I was looking around. None of the women had makeup and we were worshiping. And I leaned over to my wife, and I said, honey, do you realize that you're the only woman wearing pants? And she said, you're dead. No, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. But we had a conversation on the way home. We should have told me I was the only woman wearing pants. They all wear dresses. I forgot that part. But it was so nice because there was no makeup. But you know, that that whole idea of being trimmed, it means to put in order, to arrange or decorate. And I believe this trimming speaks of revival just before the coming of the Lord. I believe that there's a move of God that's coming as we're trimming our wicks, we're beautifying ourselves, we're making ourselves beautiful for the king, and there's going to be a revival that's going to come because the world's going to look and say, I see a light, and I see a people that are consecrated to God. Amen? And I believe that's what it represents. So we need to trim our wicks. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to trim your wick. So the foolish ones said to the wise, the foolish virgins said to the wise virgins, they said, um, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And the oil represents the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, no, they replied, there may not be enough for both of you and us, or both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. And so we say, pastor, I don't understand, what kind of currency do you buy the holy spirit with you can't buy the holy spirit with currency but there is a currency called time humility and obedience that takes time to develop you can't just say okay i'm going to just serve god you got to be obedient you have to serve the lord and you have to follow the lord all right so they the half the virgins there they went to get oil so verse 10 but while they were on their way to buy the oil the bridegroom arrived the virgins who were ready Here's the key. They were ready. They went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour, all right, that the Lord is coming. And here's the key. A lighthouse is designed to establish our position. Okay, number two, it's there to guide to a specific destination. And number three, it's there to warn others of the hazards of a life without God. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I just really felt encouraged to say, listen, there's a revival on the horizon, but it's our responsibility to keep our, you know, our tanks filled with the oil. And that oil represents relationship with God, time in the Word, time in prayer. And you can't just get it like that. You have, to, you have to spend time in relationship with God. We're not talking about your salvation. You're saved when you believe and put your faith in Christ. I'm talking about being prepared for the wedding feast. Because Jesus is going to marry the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem is made up of Gentiles and Jews. And He's coming in. And we are invited as the virgins to come into that wedding. Isn't that awesome? God is doing an amazing thing. Why don't we stand together? And we'll pray. Father, I thank you uh, that we want to be a room full of wise virgins in this story here. God, we want to be like that, where we are carrying extra oil, that we have a relationship with you that we're constantly developing, that we're we're being obedient to you. We're following your voice. God, we also... Uh, We want to be that lighthouse for others. We want them to look at Christ in us and give glory to our Father in heaven. God, help us to rescue people. Help us not to get so comfortable in church that we're not being the church. Help us, God. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need relationship with you. So God, I ask that you would just pour out oil uh, on your people here today, even those following online. Lord, we need your oil. We need relationship. We need in intimacy with you. We, we want our flames to burn. We don't want them to go out. We need your oil in this season. And God, we don't want works. We, we're not lugging coal up to the top of the lighthouse. We're just taking the oil of the Holy Spirit, and we're allowing our fire to burn in Jesus' name. So, God, I just pray that every person here, none would leave discouraged, all those online, not discouraged, but encouraged, that they can leave this meeting and go and say, God, I'm ready for more oil. Holy Spirit, let that oil flow. In Jesus' name. And if you're following us online or you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm here to testify that He is a light on a hill. And if you set your gaze upon Him, He'll lead you to the shores of salvation. And you'll spend eternity with God. But you just have to admit that there's dangers in the water. And it's called sin, and and it's there to destroy us. It's the plan of the enemy. So if you're here with me and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and say, I want you to be my lighthouse, I want to keep my eyes set on you, if that's you, and with every head bowed, every eye closed, you want to slip up your hand, I'm going to pray with you right now. If there's anybody in this room right now, you want to make that prayer, I see your hand, right? I see hands going up. This is awesome. We're going to pray, and if you're following online, I can't see your hand, but God sees it. And if you mean it, let's pray it right now. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be my lighthouse and to lead me to safety. I want you to be my Lord and Savior, and I want you to put your oil in me so that I can shine and people will know you. In Jesus' name, forgive me for all my sins and cleanse me on the inside. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.